Well, today we're beginning a new message series called I Love Church, which really might sound kind of odd, like I love church. I don't know if I love church, um, but I want to encourage you to love church so much so that you hate missing church on Sunday. This is one of our goals for 2017 is that we, we love church so much that we want to be there every chance we can. Now, I know that there are many places that you can um, grow in your faith. And hopefully you have personal quiet times, times in the Bible, times in prayer. But let's just face it. For most of us, the most devoted moment of the entire week is when we come together as a church family. We kind of block out everything else in our life, worship the Lord, humble ourselves before him, and listen to his word. Now, again, it's not the only place, but it is, it is one place that we can do that together. And so we're encouraging you to do that as often as you can in, in 2017. In fact, to be here every Sunday, unless you're sick or out of town, that you be there with your church family because we want to encounter God more frequently in 2017. And there's a cultural trend that's been going on for several years that's going downward in that people attend church less frequently. Now, they may claim they, they, they have a church home, and they may go to that church, but they're going less than they used to. So instead of going you know, every Sunday or three Sundays a month, they go two Sundays a month, or they go one Sunday a month. But the problem with that is kind of like watching a TV show. You miss out on a rhythm. You, know, you miss out on the character development. You miss out on what's happening within the body when you're hit and miss. And I want to encourage you, try this out this year. Make that a priority in your year because the spiritual climate of our culture has gotten very weak. And there's a direct correlation between that commitment to church and spiritual growth. Now, I know there's a, there's a common argument today that, that the church is flawed, that the church has its own problems. And that's why people don't like going to church or maybe being as committed to a church. And I admit the church is filled with flawed people, flawed leaders like myself. Uh, but, it's, but it's still a great place. And, and we who are part of the church have to recognize the fact that we've got some mistakes. And the church has made some errors in the past. Sometimes we've been very political instead of spiritual. Sometimes we focus more on internal issues than the outside issues. Uh, uh, sometimes we've been inauthentic. We've given the impression that we've got it all together. When in reality, we don't. We're, we're as, as messed up as the person across the street from us. And so the more authentic we are and the, and the more... Uh, we, we present hope to the world. The more that we learn to love each other, the more we focus on our purpose of being in the world, the more we become attractive. In fact, that's what's so amazing about the early church. When the early church began, it was like a magnet. People flocked to the church because there was something happening there that wasn't happening in their culture. They found something in their church they couldn't find elsewhere. And I really believe that there are things that you can find in the church that you won't find on the internet, you won't find uh, in your neighborhood, you won't find at the workplace. You'll only find in a community of believers who come together. And so we're going to focus on this for the next several weeks of how to fall in love with this group called the church. Now, the, the church goes by different um, names in the Bible. Sometimes it's called like the body of Christ. And the reason it's called the body of Christ is because we are like Jesus' hands, his feet, his voice in the world. We're the instrument in which God loves the world through. So sometimes we're called the body of Christ. Um, sometimes it's called the bride of Christ. That the church is the bride of Christ. Now think about that. If your son was engaged to a girl and that was going to be his bride, he was going to marry, you wouldn't be real critical of her, would you? You wouldn't point out all of her flaws. And I think when, when Jesus looks at his bride, he loves her bride. He loves his bride. And even though she has wrinkles and, and blemishes, he loves his bride. 
And so we're not going to throw away the church because the church has problems. We're not going to scrap the church or avoid the church. We're going to make the church the beautiful bride that he's called it to be. Yes, yes, there are some weaknesses. Yes, there are some problems. But, but we don't need to scrap the idea of the church. It is still God's chosen avenue for reaching the world. In fact, we didn't start the church, did we? Jesus did. Jesus founded the church. He says, I will build my church. And so let's, let's get back to what Jesus designed and say, let's build the church along with Jesus, the one that he wants to, to build. And Jesus not only founded the church, he funded the church. He paid for the church. How did he do that? Through his own blood. He bought the church with his blood. So because Jesus loved the church that much, I think we ought to love his church, his bride, his body. And, and, and love it in a way maybe like we've never loved it before. So I'm going to ask you to do something today as we prepare to go into his word. That you open your heart to look at this group of people. In fact, you can even look around a little bit at this group of people. There's some strange people in this room. And there's some wonderful people in this room. There are the wonderfully strange people in this room. We're just this interesting group of people that God has blended together into this thing called his bride, his body, or as we'll look at today, his family. So let's, let's learn to love the church that he loved. Jesus, thank you for your church. Thank you that all across the world your church is meeting. But I thank you for local churches like Pikes Peak Christian that we can come together, learn to love each other, listen to your word, and remember once again how important you are to our lives. And so open our hearts to love the church in the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to introduce you to a man that you met a few weeks ago. Um, his name's Carlos, and he was just asked the question, what do you love about Pikes Peak Christian Church? And here's what he had to say. Why do you love Pikes Peak Christian Church? Um, it's like my other family. Um, I come here, and everybody is so welcoming, and um, it's just a happy experience coming in here, and um, everybody uh, is so friendly, and uh, I just feel welcome. That's why I love coming here. So he called his church his other what? His other family. Really is. Church is family. Now, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that when you use the word family, it's kind of like the word mother or father. Some of you have wonderful experiences with that word. Some of you have some very painful memories of that word. So when I say family, it, it sounds kind of heartwarming to many of us, but also for some of us, we feel like family. My family is, is so dysfunctional. My family fights all the time. They don't know how to get along. If that's what church is like, I don't want anything to do with it. I mean, I've met a lot of your families. I know my family that I came from. It's pretty screwed up. Really. I mean, I look back and like, man, we, we didn't function real well as a family. I met a lot of church families, and I say, they don't, they don't function real well as a family either. We don't use the family necessarily as the model for the church. Because when the church, when the family's in trouble, where does it go to? Often it goes to the church. Help us learn how to be a family. But when the family starts to function in a beautiful way, when your individual biological family functions in a beautiful way, you go, now that, that is wonderful. And that is how I love to see the church function. See, there's a verse in, in Peter. Peter writes a statement about, about the church. He says, love the family of believers. Love. 
Wow. And we put a lot of heart things. I, you know, I, I heart radio and I heart this and that. I heart church. I love church. I, I really do. Church has made a huge impact in my life. When I talk about church, I'm talking about the people. Huge. I don't know where I'd be in my life if it weren't for the church. So I love the church. The church has done many, many things for me. And it, and it does many, many things for you. I want to point out four of those things today. Uh, first of all, the, the family, the church family lets me know that I belong. When you're part of a family, there's a place for you. And you just go to anybody's house, and you, you can tell by walking around that, you know, everybody has their own room, has their own closet, and their own drawers to put clothes in. They have their own toys, and their own toothbrush, and their own, typically their own place to sit at the dinner table. I mean, they all have their, their things because, because they belong. When you belong, you have a place. It's the stranger that walks in and goes, I don't know what I can touch, what I can do, where I can sit, because I'm not part of the family. But the family, they all know where their space is because they're part of it. And, uh, you know, it happens in church. You guys who look at church as family, you sit in the same place all the time. That's your place. It's like, that's my chair. That's where I sit. When I, when I, when I give with my church family, that's where I sit. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just, you've gotten comfortable in that certain neighborhood or certain section of the congregation, and that's where you sit. When you're, when you're, when you're new and kind of checking it out, you can just kind of bounce around all different places because you haven't found your place. But once you settle in, you start to get comfortable, and this is where I like to sit, and this is how I like to listen. Same thing with the family. Now, what's beautiful is that in the Scripture, way back, God, God had a family called the nation of Israel. And that nation was a very special. God says, I love those people. That those people are going to be my special messenger to the world. They're going to be my special medium for communicating to the rest of the world that I love them. In fact, through this family of mine, I'm going to, I'm going to bring promises and I'm going to bring messages to tell them that there is hope for everybody. Through them, I'm going to bring a child who will be a king one day. His name will be Jesus. And, and you know, in the Old Testament, you see these other nations who had gods. They had gods of wood and gods of stone. And they would pray to them, but not much would happen. Yet the God of Israel, who sometimes showed up in pretty significant ways, like a fire by night or a cloud by day, when they would go into battle, that God would intervene in sometimes an amazing way, that these people would go back and say, you should have seen the way their God acted. You should have seen the power of their God. He's just amazing. People were attracted to, the, to that God and those people saying, they've got a special relationship. That God takes care of them in a significant way. Their God provides for them in amazing ways. I wish I could be part of that family. And some people did convert. They became what's called proselytes. They actually said, we want to be part of your family. So we'll adopt your customs. We'll be circumcised. We'll observe the rituals. If you'll accept this in your family. And so they became Jewish, not by bloodline, but by conversion. But then we come to the New Testament. The time when it came for the birth of Christ. Remember, we just celebrated Christmas. By the way, thank you for all of you who helped Christmas Eve. We, had, we just had a fantastic night, Christmas Eve. But I love the story. And it's worth singing about every, every single Sunday. The angels came and said, this news of the birth of this child will be good news of great joy for all the people. In fact, one of the prophets says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that a light now shines in the land of the Gentiles. A light. 
It's, it's like you're sitting over here hoping that, man, I wish we could be part of that family. You ever see a family like that? They go on vacation to Disneyland. They, they're happy. They, got, they, just, they love being together. You go, man, I wish I could be part of that family. Well, that's the way nations looked at Israel. And all of a sudden, God says, doors are open. Come on in. And so when the New Testament time comes, the message was to go out to the whole world of, hey, there's a place for you at God's table. But here's what happened. The, the, the early believers still had a hard time accepting the fact that God had that much love. And so most of the Christians were actually Jewish in their background. And God actually had to bring persecution to drive them out of Jerusalem to get into these outer regions of Samaria and other locations to share this good news message. Paul, he's a guy in the Bible, he was one of the prominent missionaries that would go out to these Gentile, which is non-Jewish, Gentile communities to preach Jesus. And thousands upon thousands of people responded. It was like throwing bread on a pond and watching the fish come up. And these people were just flocking, saying, we love this message. We want to follow your Jesus. And so they became part of this family. In fact, they, the Jewish believers were overwhelmed and says, we've got to do something about this. All these people are coming in and, and we've got to determine, do they need to become like us? How are we going to accept them into the family? So they had this big powwow called the Jerusalem Council. And they had to decide what will be the, the, the things they have to do to be part of our family. And they, they just came up with a few things. A few things that said, you know what? We're not going to make it difficult for you to enter this family. We, we want to make it easy for the Gentiles to come in. And so when you read the New Testament, most of the letters that are written were written to churches that have a mix of Jews and, and a lot of Gentiles. And one of those is the book of Ephesians. So I want to read to you this passage. I gave you all that background because I wanted you to hear what Paul says to the Ephesian church. Many who were Gentiles in their heritage. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You have a place in the family. You know, I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you felt like I, I didn't grow up in a church. I didn't grow up with a church background. Or maybe my family's all broken up. I'm a single parent. I'm a widow. I'm a widower. Um, there's a place for you. There's a place for every one of you in God's family. Isn't that beautiful? He loves us that much that he made a place for us in his household. There's a place for you in his family. Here's something else the church does for you. It, it places me in meaningful relationships. The most meaningful relationships you'll ever have will be family-type relationships. I think that's why God uh, relates to us this way. He says, I am your heavenly father and Jesus is my son. Because the most significant relationships in your life end up being family relationships. Now, they may be biological or they may just be Velcro. Velcro is people who get attached to one another and just say, we become family. Because you're going to have teachers. You will have coaches. You will have um, uh, employees. You'll have bosses. You'll have people that will work with you all through your life. You'll have neighbors. You'll have different titles for them. But when someone gets very close to you, you call them family. You call this my brother. Call this my sister. Or you might call that person my dad. Or my son. Because there's no more intimate relationship. I mean, when somebody's really close to you, there's nothing better than to call it, man, that's my brother. And we're like this. These family relationships. God puts us in these meaningful 
relationships. And then you see that in scripture. Paul calls Timothy his son. He calls um, the other apostles his brothers. We're born again into this family and have all these new siblings. And you may call them brother, sister. You may, you may call them your mother, father, aunt, or uncle. I love the fact that my kids can grow up in a church. My grandson can grow up in a church. And he can start learning to have family members, people he may call uncle or aunt in his life. So in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was approached by someone asking this question. Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And here's what Jesus said to them. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, this here, this is my mother and these are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus was doing there was, was expanding this understanding of family. That there actually is a bigger family. A family that will last forever. A family that even surpasses your own biological family. Because when you have that concept of this church family, it absorbs even your own family. Your own family becomes part of a bigger family. A family that will last for eternity. Your family will come to an end one day. Your family, you know, when, when everyone passes away, that family, in a sense, start, starts to dissipate. But our family in heaven, with one father, Father God, and we are all his children becomes this big family that looks upward to him. But for now on earth, we become brothers and sisters. I have family in South Carolina, Tennessee, Indiana, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nebraska, all over this nation in many places. People that I can meet and I can hug and say, you're my family. You're my brother. You're my sister. Because of relationships we've established over the years in churches, doing ministry together or walking with Christ together. And so many of those individuals I can meet after not seeing them for a year, two years, and we can reconnect and pick up kind of where we left off. God puts us in these significant, meaningful relationships. I love watching the church family in action. In fact, yesterday was, it was a good picture of it. We, we had a funeral yesterday for a lady just suddenly passed away on Christmas Day, early 60s. Some of you, some of you know Sandy Byers, Sandy and Sheila. Sandy passed away. She just, just said goodbye to her husband two weeks ago. And in the process of caring for him, kind of neglected her own health. And some blood issues developed and pneumonia and all kinds of things. And, and she went home to be with the Lord last, last Sunday, Christmas Day. And so yesterday was a sad day as we had the funeral. And here are two kids, a son and daughter, who just lost mom and dad within two weeks of each other. They have no, they have no parents surviving that. Who's going to take care of them? Well, as, as they were leaving after the reception yesterday... I was giving family members hugs, and I said, man, I'm so glad that you guys have each other. You have aunts and uncles that all live in this area that can care for each other, that can love on each other. And one of the nieces, as I hugged her, said, you're, you're part of our family, too. I, I've, I've conducted four funerals for that family and a couple weddings. And in her mind, I'm now part of their family. Now, I love the fact that in a church you feel like family. There was a, a, a man whose wife was killed in an accident several years ago, and it was just a sudden, tragic thing. Um, there, was, there was weeping in the house that night, and friends from the church gathered in that house. There must have been 20 people in the house, and this man was just sobbing. And in walked an older couple from this church. And as they walked in the door, they had a duffel bag. And they set the duffel bag down against the wall and continued in 
and talking with people. And I, and I asked them, I said, what did you bring in the duffel bag? What do you have in there for this man? And they said, well, we have our pajamas because we're prepared to stay the night. And, and it, now they're not family. They're not biological family. And it just dawned on me, how many of us have people that love us so much that they, they feel that they have the right to come in and say, you know what? We're prepared to spend the night with you. We're prepared to do what family does for each other. And I love the fact that sometimes, even when our biological families fail us, that God has put people in our lives, church people, who love us so deeply, who love us like Christ. I think that's the key, is, is we have this problem within our biological families that that's just the way our family functions. That's just the way the Rondies, Rondies all have tempers, that's just what we do. Kind of like the Geico commercial, that's just what you do. So we have this stuff that perpetuates generation after generation, but, but it's like when you come under the banner of Christ, you step away from that and say, hey, we don't have to be like that. We can be nice to each other. We can be generous to each other. We can be loving to each other. Now, some of your families, like I said, are great at doing that. Most of ours aren't. But God blesses us with church people who step in and are closer than brothers and sisters to us. If you think church is like a spectator sport, kind of like going to a movie, going to a Broncos game, where you sit and watch and absorb, you're missing out on really the bigger purpose of the church. It's to come together, to love each other as a family, and to grow. The next purpose that I find in the church is that we grow up. The church helps me to grow up. There was a church that was being audited because they went through some big struggles. And this auditing firm concluded this. They said, here's what your church needs to do. You need to stop fighting and quit acting like a family. And the, the church board says, what do you mean quit acting like a family? We are family. Now remember what I said about dysfunctional families? This group came back and says, you're a dysfunctional family. You guys are bickering with each other and ignoring the needs of the community. See, there's a reason God made you a family, a church family, and it wasn't just to be ingrown toward each other. There's a bigger purpose. See, whether it's your biological family or your church family, the family has a purpose of growing one another up. And think about your home family. If everyone's going to act immature in the house year after year, it's a disaster. Nobody wants to stay in a house where, where 28-year-old sons act like 12-year-olds. Really? And, and where mom and dad still are childish. You know, nobody wants to. We want to grow up. And so that's why, as parents, we really work hard at helping our children develop and mature to, to develop character. Sometimes it means we make them miserable. I mean, the goal of the family is not to make everybody happy. Now, hopefully that's a byproduct, but the goal of the family is to grow up these kids. So sometimes, son, you get in your room, do your homework. Daughter, you get out there, you, you finish your chores. You eat your vegetables, that's good for you. I mean, you do things that people aren't happy about because it's part of their maturing. They need to learn things that they, they don't instinctively want to do, right? Same thing with church. Sometimes churches will, will, will preach a message or encourage you to do something. You go, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not happy about that. I, I ask you this. Will it help you mature? Is what you're hearing from that person going to help you mature? That's the key. And with maturity comes 
enduring happiness. So just remember that when you feel like, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. The goal isn't to make all of us happy. The goal is to make us Christ-like, to develop character. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, John describes, I think, stages of spiritual growth. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, he doesn't tell their ages as much as their spiritual status. He says, I, I write to you, dear children, man, your sins have been forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's, that's the initial part of becoming a Christian. Jesus forgave my sins. That's awesome. That's so beautiful. Okay, that's, that's where you start. That's kind of the, that's the step number one. There's another phase, and he says to you, um, young men, you've overcome the evil one. In that, in that kind of teenager stage of spiritual growth, there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of battles, spiritual battles. There's a lot of overcoming the old ways. And the enemy, Satan, is trying to pull us back. And, and by trusting in the Lord, by being obedient to Him, we overcome. And so we go through that. It's a long phase of our spiritual growth as young men, as young women, is being overcomers. But then you get to this sweet stage. To you fathers, you know Him who is from the beginning. It's like this place where you've walked with God for years, and now you know Him. Not just know in your head. You've experienced Him. You have an intimate relationship with Him. It just shows us that, that we can't stay at just the, the infancy level. You can't just be little children in the faith and know that yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yes, that's wonderful. That's awesome. Let's, let's grow. Let's get past that. Let's move on to some things. Let's help you overcome the, the, the anger issues or the temptation struggles that you have in your life. Let's help you overcome the evil one. And let's get you to that place where years later you're going to look that, down the road and say, man, I know God and I see how faithful God has been in my life. We as a church are, are to come along beside one another to help us mature. And so that's what we do. We come together, help one another grow up. And then we do one other thing as a church family. The church family exists to give me important duties. That's part of the responsibility. There's privileges and there's responsibilities in being part of the family, just like any family. When you're little, you start learning to <clears throat> feed the dog and put away the dishes and take out the trash. You get bigger responsibilities as time goes by. Parents do a lot of the work in the early years and the kids do a few things. But as we're transferring responsibilities, now we get out to where kids are cooking meals and doing the laundry and doing bigger things. And there comes a, a time, and some of you are at this time, where actually the parents do less and the kids do more. Where sometimes even the kids are taking care of the parents because of health reasons, because of, of financial reasons, because the, the kids are more capable now. And that's the way it works in life. God allows parents to care for kids in an extraordinary way when they're little, and then we start to reverse it when they get older. And in a church, we all have a responsibility, just like in a body, all these parts work together, but they all have to function carrying out their specific duties. But it's beautiful when the body comes together. Yesterday I watched a man, and I'm just so impressed with this, this uh, the man. Uh, his name's Chris. He showed up here for the funeral yesterday morning at 8.30. He's a volunteer. And he set things up, and he ushered and served the family. Afterwards, he was out vacuuming and moving furniture around and just helping. He didn't leave here till, till about 2 o'clock or so. I mean, he gave five or six hours of his Saturday to people that go to this church who were grieving. Why did he do that? Because he felt, that's my duty to my family. I owe it to my family 
to do that. You start to develop this commitment to one another of, I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. In the early church in the book of Acts, the second chapter, it shows the things they did as a body, how they came together in a, in a very frequent manner. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They, they couldn't um, get enough of each other. And they started saying, like, hey, you're like my family. I'm going to sell this to help you with that need. That's the kind of love they had for each other. And that's the kind of love that a community outside looks in and wants to be part of. And if we function like a church, if we truly love one another, like family, it is something that's so powerfully magnetic. You know why young men are joining gangs? Because it's a little family where they feel like they have a place, where they belong, where people care for them. What if the church became this incredible, amazing, loving family that people said, you know, my family has problems, but I want to be part of that family to learn how family really functions. What if we were like that? But in order to be like that, we've got to be together. We've got to spend time together. That's why in Hebrews, we're, we're given a strong word of encouragement. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Even today, some are in the habit of not meeting together. Let's not do that. Let's meet together and encourage one another. You can't encourage each other if you're not together. So how can we do that? What are some of the duties we have as believers, as part of a church family? I've listed four there in your bulletin. Real quick. Get to know other family members. Don't just come into church and sit down and, and wait for the show to start. Like sometimes people will say, Pastor, I wish we had that greeting time we used to have at the church. You know, we turn around and greet one another. My, my word to them is, do it naturally. Come to church a few minutes early, and instead of sitting down and looking at the screen, walk around the room. Introduce yourself to other people. Get to know them. No, there's nothing more artificial than having a pastor tell you... <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and tell them how glad you are to meet them. You know, people recognize sometimes that's very phony. But you know what's real is when you do it without anybody telling you to. Just because you love your family. Care for your brothers and sisters. Find out ways to actually tangibly show you care. If you find out there's a need, see how you can meet it. If there's a prayer concern, pray for them right then and there. Allow other family into your life. That, create, that, that means we have to be vulnerable. Some lady came up after the first term and says, I need someone to pray for me today. That's good. That's, that's okay. What struggles are you going through? Invite your family to be part of that. And then show up for family gatherings. There's nothing more beautiful than say, hey, the family's coming together for Christmas or Thanksgiving. Let's all get together. Well, you know when our family's getting together? Every single Sunday. Every single Sunday we have a family gathering. And I hope you're part of it every single week. Unless you're sick or unless you're out of town, you'll be with your church family. Because we have a Father who loves us, who's allowed us to be part of His grand family called Church. And we're not just doing it here on earth, we're to be together forever.